Hey, very good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Sean. This is Alex. And you're listening to Coaster Kings Radio. Today's episode um, is the season finale of season three. We will be taking a uh, short two month break after today. Today's topics, um, well, as you can maybe tell by title, we're spilling the tea, it's which the is a reference to the tea reports, the switch. themed entertainment index, which kind of just um, has us looking at a bunch of numbers and, you know, kind of analyze what happened in 2020, you know, the infamous pandemic year, how it affected which parks, what trends we saw. And um, after that, we'll kind of look at what we're looking forward to, you know, new attractions wise. So, I, I think the tea reports are like, we love the tea reports. We read them every year. It's always a really fascinating thing. Like the day they come out, I kind of spend the day like pouring over them and analyzing the data. And for the 2020 year, it was like, it was pretty, it was, it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic what you're seeing here. Like, obviously, every, no one needs to be reminded of how 2020 went, but I will say that the T-Report shows some interesting data that, you know, compiling it and seeing it all very concisely situated in one place, it definitely helps gather the thoughts and um, there's some nuances and things that are worth looking into and some differences. But before we do that, let's take a quick look at some of the stuff we got on thecoastofgames.com. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, last episode we discussed Desperado testing. We've got some pictures of that and um, a little talk with the maintenance of the complex on thecoastofkings.com. Another couple of new things that we've got going on is we're currently working on our 2021 um, throwback article that discusses the, um, the yeah, best coasts yeah. of 2001. So that'll be live in the next week 20. or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the special events that are taking place, we are going to have some Horror Night stuff on the website. We've got Horrorland in Spain. We've got obviously not Scary Farm already, Hollow Scream in Tampa. Those articles are all live and ready for you to be enjoyed. And then, of course, we um, we have our crown ratings from the last couple of weeks. We didn't do one this week, um, but that's because we were just busy with life as usual. I feel like that's the excuse yeah. in this episode, um, this podcast. But <laughs> yeah, lately it's all been moving related. I mean, if you really want to know, like our microwave blew up in a brand new house. There's like a literally <laughs> always something like every time we finish a project, there's a new project. So it's, uh, um, you know, Always that's something. just kind of related to what's going on. If you're yeah. looking for an, uh, a bunch of other new content, we've got a lot of European articles live because of our trip that we took in July. We've got some other articles coming from Sven as well. Uh, he went to move to Germany recently um, and a bunch of other European parks, including the Swedish parks. So that and more coming to thecoastofgames.com. So make sure to check that out. If you like listening to our podcasts, which we hope you do, um, this is episode 43 officially. And we also have a bunch of specials and mini soaps live. Make sure to leave a review, <clears throat> five stars, <clears throat> on <laughs> our Apple Podcast page to, uh, to help us grow. And, of course, find us on all of our social media platforms. We've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, a um, bunch of extra Instagram accounts. We've got four of them, Europe, Florida, California. The regular, the Ghost of Kings. Yeah. So all that, um, go check it out. Interact with us. Shoot us in messages, questions, ideas. What kind of articles, what kind of podcast episodes do you want to see? We're always here for feedback. And um, what well, we look forward to hearing from you. And without further ado, let's dive into our episode. I think unpacking the tea reports. It's a lot. There's always a lot to consider. We're fascinated about not just this year, but like the trends 
that we've seen over the course of several years, and those phenomenons that aren't so easily explained, but you look at them and you study the regions and things. This year is kind of the same in that regard, but it's also very, there's just, it's more, it's a lot more complex. What can be explained by looking at these numbers requires more explanation than normal. Um, in fact, even the T-Report themselves said that they wouldn't change the rankings of the parks. Like, where the parks ranked in 2019 is where they've remained in this year's T-Report because the point of the T-Report, which is really just a... Really, what the T is about is about compiling attendance figures for themed entertainment attractions. Which they do to see, like, what management moves, what expansions, what operations have affected, you know, the, the theme park world as a whole um, and usually it's like a reflection of like well how does the management like affect positively or negatively um, you know the park's attendance their financial status and even though attendance isn't always an accurate reflection of how a park performs I mean Six Flags can have high attendance but have some sort of business model where their actual profits aren't as high because they're giving away the gate for example it's still generally speaking especially for the larger resorts which is what this list really looks at it doesn't concern itself with the smaller parks yeah um, it's to see like hey how is it working on a global scale and I think the most interesting is that it's split up by region. So we have the U.S. North America region, which only includes like one Canadian park ever on that list. Um, then we have the Latin America Mexico region. We have the European Middle Eastern region, and we have the Asian region. And it makes a lot of sense because, especially from that data, you can really see in those regions who's competing, who's overtaking who, and attendance. I think, um, you know, are historically the best way of looking at that because profits don't always mean the most because obviously. A park like Opa Park will charge a different amount than like the next runner up in attendance, but like their performance obviously has maybe a little bit more of a reflection when you look at ticket sales versus like actual dollar value because like some parks may not have hotels, some parks may have hotels, that sort of thing, right? So I think uh, I think that's what makes the the themed entertainment association reports so incredibly interesting every year. Um, but what's even more interesting, like you mentioned, the rankings stay the same because it's 2019 um, because there really is no point for the first time ever. To like discuss these parks and like how they performed in 2020 Basically, because we all know nobody they were actually like, performed. The attendance of these parks right now is not an accurate reflection of how they're being governed. <laughs> so I think the funniest thing is like every year it shows you the change from the year prior, and I think that's what's almost the most fascinating to look at this time around is to see like how much of a percentage drop like did these parks have. Um, there's a couple of parks that they performing perform pretty well. I mean, there's one park in China, which I guess we'll get to a little bit later on that, to that region, but it's a, the Zhengzhou Fanta Wild Park that only lost 11% in attendance yeah. compared to 2019. I'm not sure that park opened in 2019, and it's very possible that they had a really short 2019 season. That's why their short 2020 That's what season I was too. Is, is so similar. Uh, but generally speaking, those are really, I think, what we're going to focus on today. Um, there's just some really interesting trends that, like, I don't know, COVID... This, this whole report reveals a lot of things that we already knew, but it reveals a few things that like maybe we hadn't known or thought about. There was a couple of things that were unexpected, and there were a couple of trends that the T reports really kind of like explained that I yeah. wasn't, you know, like that we, that we really learned from, obviously. So um, one of the first ones that is pretty obvious is that the Netherlands and Germany had, um, in the European sector, an interesting kind of development, there seems to be a little bit less of a loss of attendance. I mean, again, all these parks lost quite the attendance in, in all on of a year. Average, on average, lost like 65%. 
that seemed to be like a popular figure for the annual attendance drop for different regions. Like I think 65 was the average annual attendance drop for for Europe. Yeah, 65. But then interestingly enough, or 66 really, yeah. um, is that Efteling only dropped 45%, and their attendance was, was quite high. For 2020, they were sitting at nearly 3 million visitors, which is actually the highest attended theme park of all of Europe in 2020. Except for... No, it's still the highest attended park in all of Europe in 2020. Oh, for 2020. For 2020, yeah. I mean, they're like in the top five for uh, for 2019, but they're, and the, they're the top... Actually, the top three of 2019. But um, in 2020, they were the number one with nearly 3 million visitors, uh, 2.9 million. And that's mostly because the Dutch government just allowed that park to be open um, for more days than the neighboring countries allowed their parks to be open, as well as the fact that um, Efteling, even though they took measures against the coronavirus, um, they definitely weren't quite as severe as, for example, Belgian parks or like the French parks. So it was interesting seeing that um, this resort... I guess for the first time ever, it was the highest attended um, resort in all of Europe. And then we took a global pandemic. For <laughs> I mean, they have been growing like crazy. They, for a park their size, they do pretty good. They do pretty good. Um, let's see. And then the German parks are pretty okay as well. You, you'll see that Heide Park only had a 4 to 4% loss in attendance compared to 2019. Fantasialand only a 51.2% uh, loss compared to 2019. And then um, Robo Park a 56.5% loss compared to 2019. So overall, these are not the worst numbers. It looks like the French parks, for example, Disneyland Paris lost 73.1% of their annual attendance. Um, that, that's a pretty, pretty big one. And I then France, the UK, and Spain. Spain, yeah, Port of Antigua World, 81.3% loss. Um, and then um, Park of Strix, 50%, not terrible, but still more than you know, the German and Dutch parks. Um, <gasps> And then, and then the Italian Warner also seventy nine point eight, so eighty percent loss, pretty pretty significant. Italian parks, interestingly enough, Gardaland um, at a fifty three point eight percent loss for the country that was the first to really have like an outbreak in yeah, Europe. Yeah, the first I'm European outbreak. The, the Italian parks didn't they open do again as bad. for the summer. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't expect those all parks to considered. have a summer season at all. So that's an interesting point. Um, the next point that we uh, globally, the Chinese parks actually turned around the quickest. I guess because they spent the most... They were the first ones to Close. have to spearhead it's also, this whole issue. It's also the country that, um, you know, head-on did the whole lockdown thing before... Other, I mean, we were still traveling across Europe and the U.S. when um, China was already deep into lockdowns. So, yeah. um, interestingly enough, um, I'm going to pull the, uh, the Asia list real quick here, is that... Well, one thing we noticed a lot in 2020, and that's mostly because of interregional travel within China, for example, is that um, with for the Chinese parks on this topic, is that the, those parks that were located either in like big cities or in big provinces did best with their attendance. So Shanghai Disney did well, um, OCT Happy Valley in Shang, sorry, in Beijing did well. Shanghai Disney was the only park in Asia to see more than 500 million people um, for 2020. The five, 5 million people, yeah. Yeah. 5.5 million Yeah. 5.5 million people, whereas the rest of the Asia parks, nobody could achieve. Shanghai was the only park to see million. the entire world park. Yeah. <laughs> every, every person visited. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so it's the only park to actually crest the 5 million figure a park that came very close was University of Ocean Japan with 4.9 yeah uh, which is interesting because Japan um, I mean they their their system of locking down was quite 
interesting because they kind of kept like doing complete lockdowns and like opening up economy, complete lockdown, opening up economy. Very interesting that international travel is definitely a struggle. Um, but domestically, there were definitely periods people could visit the parks. Still, though, quite quite the major loss in attendance. Um, we're looking at Disney here losing seventy seven percent of their attendance, and Universal losing sixty seven six six percent. Definitely. Although it's interesting to note that in Japan, for the first time, USJ was the highest had the highest park. attendance. It had higher attendance than either of the Disney parks, where normally both Disney parks individually outperform USJ. And I think that you can chalk it up to the way that Osaka did things versus how Tokyo did things. Which I think from an American and even a European standpoint, you wouldn't have thought that there would be quite so many differences between the way these two cities handled things. But then there's a huge difference between how different parts of America and different parts of Europe handled it. And different parts of China. Yeah. Well, I mean, China as a whole handled it, but the thing with China was just that the um, interprovincial travel was, was, was restricted quite a bit. Yeah. So if your province or city's area had like an outbreak, then like and nobody there could leave. So that was, you know, they really contained it into specific areas, which is also why Shanghai did so well, because Shanghai Disneyland is located in, like, a very, very big metro. It's, you know, it's its own tier province. It's a captive audience, yeah. And so the same thing went for OCT Happy Valley in Shenzhen? Beijing, Beijing, because the Beijing Park, um, amazingly enough, actually had a very minimal loss compared to most parks around the world. Their loss was only 23.4%. Yeah. They still managed to get nearly 4 million people. This is the Happy Valley Park in Beijing. Um, strongly outperforming almost everything else in the chain. But that's that was very interesting. But again, that's because Universal Studios Beijing was delayed. No, yeah. It was delayed. So yeah. Beijing Studios was supposed to open 2020. That Universal Park got pushed to 2021. Opened like two weeks ago. And then you had... OCT actually being open um, to, a, again, a captive audience, which, which really helped them. Another thing we'll talk about in, in a couple couple minutes is the, is the new approach to economy by the Chinese government that really helped push it too. But what I want to point out real quick is that parks that got affected more by this, um, for example, are Chamlong Ocean Kingdom, despite still getting nearly 5 million visitors. Um, Chamlong Ocean Kingdom in 2019 was China's most attended theme park, sitting at nearly 12 million visitors, which is higher than Shanghai Disney by about half a million. Um, Chamlong Ocean Kingdom this time took in about um, 7,000, sorry, 700,000 less guests than Chamlong, sorry, than Shanghai Disney did, and that's because Chamlong Ocean Kingdom was located in Zuhai, which is close to Hong Kong and Macau. Clearly, Hong Kong and Macau um, residents were not able to travel to the mainland of China, and then Zhuhai is not that close to the city center of Guangzhou and Shenzhen, which also kind of affected it because that's really like a destination park. People from Shanghai, I mean, when, yeah. you, when you're in the Shanghai metro, you will see ads for Chaomang Ocean Kingdom. Well, you know what I'm saying? So people come from all over China, Macau, Hong Kong, maybe even Singapore, to go to Chaomang Ocean Kingdom. So that resort saw like that, that holdback for not having people from other provinces there just wasn't enough people in the immediate area to support the uh, resort's attendance figures the way that and so i find it still regions. quite impressive that somehow in 2020 they still managed to get nearly five million visitors that's that, that's a really impressive yeah. number i think that was the pent-up demand that was allowed in midway through 2020 once china had finally reached a point where they allowed the interprovincial travel again and I, well, interprovincial travel has been like on and off, yeah. depending on the region through all of 2020. Um, I'm not sure how much of this attendance was before the lockdown, but really, I think the parks already started going down really early in the year, so this must have been later 
towards towards the end of the year they really picked up again. Yeah, uh, and then unlike attendance. America and Europe, where a lot of parks did have like a first strong two business and a half the first months. two months, COVID affected numbers in China immediately. But like they were already being affected by the end of 2019. So any of this recuperative attendance, is, well, it's exactly that. All of the attendance in 2020 for the Chinese parks can really be attributed to how quickly they turned things around. Interestingly enough, though, the Sista Park, Chamlong Paradise, located just about two hours north in, within Guangzhou itself, um, a, a major tier one city in China, their attendance lost only 45%, and they actually had an attendance of um, 2.7 million guests, which is, uh, I mean, their attendance loss relative to, to their 2019 attendance wasn't nearly as hard, even though they're kind of, even though they're in the same province. And I think it has to do again with Chamlong Paradise is, is much more of a local park, um, a local destination, very, very, very within the province. And people don't necessarily travel to Chamlong Paradise from all over China, besides maybe the Safari Park. But um, Chamlong Ocean Kingdom definitely is much more of an international tourist destination that really feeds off Macau and Hong Kong. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, our beloved Chamlong Ocean Kingdom saw that much of a dip, really. Um, another interesting park to look at are the Hong Kong parks. The Hong Kong parks ate, ate some dirt. Hong Kong the Disneyland Hong Kong parks, took a 70% <laughs> drop. These are always interesting to look at. These are interesting to look at every year. Um, when we went to Hong Kong in 2018, that was partially motivated by what we saw in the T-reports, which was that there was this inexplicable drop. It was Hong Kong Disneyland and Ocean Park were the only parks in Asia that saw a substantial drop in attendance. Over the years, yeah. And it wasn't something that you could attribute to either one park, because they're competing well, the against thing. each other. A lot of people... Or were, so people thought. People yeah. were over here telling themselves and us and the world that the reason that Hong Kong Disney's attendance was hurting so badly was because of Ocean Park. Or Ocean Park. And or the people were telling us that Ocean Park's attendance was hurting so much to the point where Ocean Park pretty much went bankrupt over and over and over and the Chinese government, well, the Hong Kong government has been blowing in a bunch of money is that Ocean Park was competing with Hong Kong Disneyland. But people are, for some reason, completely oblivious to the fact that right across the bay, like pretty much in a clear day, you should be able to see one another, is yeah. the fact that Chamlong Ocean Kingdom is attracting the most visitors of any park in, in China, China, in the China bubble, like anything Chinese, whether it's like, you know, um, a city-state city country or like mainland China, they have by far the highest attendance. Um, and so people are, you know, the Chamlong Ocean Kingdom opened in 2014 is probably like the region's premier biggest resort. They have China, mainland China's largest um, hotel, which is the Hanking Bay Hotel. And so like this resort is really, really massive, attracting a lot of people. And it went from opening in 2014 um, with an annual attendance of about 5 million to in 2019 having um, 12 million. Having 12 million and visitors. performing Shanghai So Disney. people are over here like concerning themselves with the Hong Kong bubble, acting like two Hong Kong parks are hemorrhaging each other and are like competing each other to death, but yeah. really, right across the bay, you have Chamlong Ocean King that's drawing millions and millions of people internationally and domestically. Another explanation for it was people were saying that Shanghai Disney was related, and it's like, well, first of all, they're far away enough from each other that you wouldn't necessarily chalk that up to, like, Hong Kong being affected so dramatically by a park all the way in Shanghai, but people just weren't considering that... A huge 
marketing point for Hong Kong Disney and Ocean Park was was attracting people from the mainland, and then there was no Taiwan Ocean Kingdom completely obliterated the attractiveness of Hong Kong parks. It, like, why go through the trouble of crossing into Hong Kong from the mainland to go to Hong Kong Disney or Ocean Park and when this, you have Chaimong Ocean Kingdom. And to make matters worse, the Hong Kong-Macau Zuhai Bridge exists, which is the world's largest bridge and underwater tunnel system, which is literally a road from Zuhai to Macau, from Macau to Hong Kong. Yeah. There is a whole road system that literally connects these. So, yeah, Shanghai Disney, I, I highly doubt Shanghai Disney had that much of an impact. I mean, the first annual numbers for Shanghai Disney weren't that strong because it opened, like, you know, mid-year. Um, but I really, really think that Chamlong Ocean Kingdom opening in 2014, just two years prior to Shanghai Disneyland, that's really what marked the start of the decline Shanghai of the Hong Disney Kong parks. Shanghai Disney had that dominating attendance. They were the most attended park in China for 2017 and 2018, but then by 2019, Chamlong Ocean Kingdom just spanked them. Chamlong Ocean Kingdom's attendance nearly doubling annually. It was number eight really in the world, number eight globally for 2019. I mean, higher attendance than Isles of Adventure staggering. or University of Florida, for example. There's yeah. really, really impressive attendance numbers. Um, but yeah, again, I think the Western world really likes to look at, at the Disney parks and at the Universal parks and kind of look at trends there. But I really strongly believe from our experiences in the region is that Chaimong Ocean Kingdom is the main reason why the Hong Kong parks are struggling. Shanghai Disney, I don't think it's needed to do anything with that. Like really, like that there's the, really like no overlap. They're like, aren't they like the number five amusement, like theme park operator in the world? And then we have two parks and the water park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they perf- they have a higher attendance than all of Six Flags or all of. They're Super much Fair more of a regional company because but they, have they have destination status. Between the two resorts, they normally get like twenty three million people a year. Um, and we'll we'll dive a little bit more into into the Chamlong Group in a little bit later on the episode because um, we're gonna end this episode again with with a quick look into the future. Yeah, uh, which of course Chamlong belongs into yeah. that into that section. Um, so that's kind of how it went for Asia. But before we move on to to the next region, there's one more really important point. And that's that the um, the Chinese government was really promoting throughout 2020 and 2021 what they call the nighttime economy. Um, nighttime economy meant that restaurants, stores, um, entertainment, theme parks, the idea was that every company, every business would stay open later so they could do more business later. And that was something that was really noticed in the theme parks. So one of the reasons that the parks aren't hit quite as hard sometimes with the attendance figures um, is that some parks really took that nighttime thing and took it. Like um, China Dinosaurs Park created this whole like nighttime show, which looks really cool. It took a page it out. It's very inspired by Chamlong Ocean, Ocean Kingdom's Ocean Resistance. Chamlong Ocean Kingdom show. has always done the nighttime thing. Chamlong Paradise and the Chamlong Water Park have have done nighttime stuff, but they've been staying open late. I mean, Chinese water parks have been staying open in into the night in the dark. Chinese water parks will open in the dark like it's nobody's business. Um, I mean, I guess European water. Indoor water parks, indoor water parks. parks, definitely. But like, I mean, it's I, not it's not dark late enough in, in the summer when the, when those yeah, European I guess that's other true. water that's parks true. are open. But so that's what's really really impressive. And then generally speaking, water parks, um, while on the topic, took a little bit of less of a hit because by the time that the water park season started, I think it was water already parks, when some yeah. parks were started reopening. Water and, parks had less to lose, especially in for Europe, a few Asia. region reasons. First of all, most water parks are seasonal, even in Florida. Uh, even the Disney water parks will close periodically in the off season. They don't need both Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach to run. Uh, <laughs> thanks to COVID, Universal had to close um, Volcano Bay over what would be considered a normal off season window of time for a typical water park, but was 
somewhat abnormal for well, one thing it is very noticeable about water parks too especially in the Orlando bubble is that just like in China the destination water parks are the ones that are hit the most because yeah. we're looking at like um, uh, in Florida area we have Blizzard Beach with a loss of 84% Universal Vicenda Bay lost 70% Aquatica lost 66% regional water parks and Adventure Island lost of, uh, of 80.9% as well like the regional water parks especially were, the ones further up north where their season started later anyway or like the ones in, in, in regions that were a little more conservative parks opened up a little sooner like yeah. the Texas parks they weren't hit quite as hard they were they were hit a little less hard so that, that was also kind of interesting to me um, let's see what is next on our on our list I think if we, if we want to look at the amusement parks the theme parks in the United States specifically um, I think everyone knows that I, I guess in, in North America the regions that were hit the hardest, that had like the most to lose, I think, were really uh, around. Like in Canada, is um, is noticeable because there's two parks in the top twenty of the North American park performers that did not open for their 2020 season. That's Canada's Wonderland and, and Six Flags Great America. So, and then uh, the, the another California thing, really parks no, yeah, exactly. The California parks are incredibly noticeable because they were down for so long. They shut down in March, and many of them didn't even open. It's quite remarkable how Disneyland, when you look at 2020 figures for Disneyland and California Adventure, you're looking at two and a half months of attendance. And they still, I mean, it's just a testament to the loyalty and the love that, um, like someone, I was reading comments on the T-Reports in a Facebook page, and Somebody pointed out that, Calif- that Disneyland still had higher attendance than Disney's Hollywood Studios, even though Disneyland was open for six weeks and Hollywood Studios opened a $300 million dark ride. Um, I guess Disneyland did too. They opened but Disneyland's the opened ride. literally like right before the Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, Disneyland had a really strong Speaking of that incredibly expensive um, dark ride, one thing that I found incredibly fascinating is that late, late 2019, so right before 2020 numbers started counting and the pandemic happened, um, Walt Disney World's Disney's Hollywood Studios opened Rides of the Rise Resistance. Resistance. Of course, you know, like the most sought after recent dark ride. And we just rode it today and waited 10 minutes. We literally waited on 10 minutes. <laughs> Thanks to the standby. This is the unique period between like Virtual Cube being cut and Genie Plus being launched, yeah. uh, which could be as soon as next week because that's when the celebration starts. Yeah. But um, the interesting thing here is, is that despite Rise of Resistance opening and having been open for the entirety of 2020, um, Animal Kingdom still outperformed Hollywood Studios by half a million visitors in 2020. They give DHS everything, and Animal like, Kingdom DHS still has had the numbers. DHS opened Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway and opened Star Wars Resistance, and you know before the pandemic. Yeah. And somehow the 2020 final numbers, Animal Kingdom still outperformed. Yeah. I love to see it because I think yeah. Animal Kingdom is clearly underrated. Um, but I think it's really really cool that Animal Kingdom stands its ground. It's still that park. It's still that bitch. Um, despite <laughs> Hollywood Studios having like the two newest rides and resorts um, as of this recording of the episode, because Ride 2 opens in two days. But um, very, very impressed with that. And so I think that's really cool um, to see. That was one of the notes I wanted to make. Um, shout out to Animal Kingdom for, for being the OG. And then there's, of course, the thing that Animal Kingdom has literally just boats going. I mean, just buses going there. As for Hollywood Studios, Hollywood Studios has buses, Skyliner, and boats way closer to all the resorts. I just find it incredible that Animal Kingdom is still outperformed. Really, really good. Really, really yeah. cool. Um, I, that's just a big takeaway for me from the reports that, that Rise Resistance did not push it. And I could have sworn when we were there. I mean, the park seemed generally busier than Animal Kingdom did. 
the entire year of 2020. I think it's just Hollywood Studios always feels because Kingdom busier than it space. is, but yeah. Animal Kingdom really knows how to hide people yeah, in plain sight. Um, but yeah, that's a yeah. Score Surprisingly, though, I mean, if we're gonna look at like the loss compared to 2019, yes, Animal Kingdom had the 70% loss, and Hollywood Studios only 68% only. Um, <laughs> so like, there is a two percent like relative increase compared to Animal Kingdom. I think for they still are Hollywood expecting Studios. Hollywood Studios to overtake Animal Kingdom. Maybe in 2022 they expect that, but it's like, it, and it, you know, it may. It's just gonna take some time. I think. It's constantly... Hollywood Studios is constantly its own biggest enemy. The hysteria that was created around um, around Rise of the Resistance has made a lot of people decide that they're going to wait and maybe not plunge themselves into the hysteria. Um, maybe... Because I think 2022 is going to be really interesting, a really interesting year for, for Disney for a lot of reasons. And the attendance figures between the parks, I think, are going to have a lot to say. Um, Hollywood Studios, on the one hand, is going to be complete for its first, like, full calendar year of operation where everything is complete. Um, And I think without the, the Rise of the Resistance boarding groups, it's going to be a more attractive thing for people with the ability to purchase a la carte rides with uh, the Genie app. Like, there's going to be ways that Disney will create a more attractive, albeit maybe more expensive, uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and the attendance could improve from that. But I still think at the end of the day, try as they might, they can't just make... They can't make Hollywood Studios uh, a more attractive or higher attendance park than Animal Kingdom just because they want to. They can try all they want. But I think... And then as soon as... The, the next thing that they do with Animal Kingdom is going to be a big deal. And eventually it's going to turn into, like, well, Animal Kingdom is going to take their position back from Hollywood Studios if they ever lose it. Because whatever they do with Animal Kingdom next, whatever their next e-ticket is, it's probably going to be... Um, I mean, based on the rumors, everybody knows that Animal Kingdom rumor about, like, what their next attraction is going to be. And chance, whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. People feel good about that, whatever their next, like, major, major thing is going to be. And then from there, it's going to be like, well, Animal Kingdom is going to win back the attendance. It's going to win back the, the, the Honestly, public opinion. I don't know if Animal Kingdom will ever lose the attendance record. Because if at the same time, it. I think Animal Kingdom went from being, like, the park that isn't enough to do at to being the park where they have, like, arguably still the most beloved attraction, which is Fight the Passage. Everyone yeah. loves that, right? And it's the park that um, it's just every age group has to go. Like, you have kids, you have to go to Animal Kingdom because there's the most to do, I think, for kids that are, like, also enjoyable for parents, where it's not just sitting on Dumbo the Elephant, but it's, like, actually doing a safari and, you know, stuff like that. And I think Animal Kingdom has that um, that overall view, feel, vibe that people are really starting attracted to. Their shade, it's naturalistic. Once it's they much get their more nighttime relaxing. show thing figured out, that's going to be helpful, too. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, one th- another thing that I found very interesting about in 2020 is how creative the, the industry got. We saw it especially in California with Nuts Berry Farm doing the food festival thing. Or Parks doing um, drive-thrus. Well, yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah. So, um, we had Nuts doing the, the several food festival things, which is very Nuts Berry Farm. SeaWorld San Diego opening as a zoo only because zoos have different guidelines. Uh, well played, SeaWorld well played. Um, <laughs> and so they also did a um, drive-thru for their Christmas event, um, SeaWorld Christmas Celebration. 
And then um, Six Flags Magic Mountain and Six Flags Discovery Kingdom started doing their drive-throughs for Holiday in the Park, which were really big successes. Um, they even continued it to be special. And there was a, a Fright Fest special version and a 4th of July special version for Discovery Kingdom in Northern California. And then for Magic Mountain, there was a West Coast Customs special car show drive-through where there was a bunch of specialty custom cars scattered throughout the park you would drive by, which was a, which was a hit. So that was cool um, that they, these parks really, really had to get creative um, because, yeah, California wasn't budging. It, there, there really wasn't any, any money to be made. So that was, that was cool. Um, let's see. What's next on our list, babe? I think from here on out, I mean, there's probably even more to dust off and decipher from the T-Awards. Um, I guess one of the only things that we may not have talked about as much is that the water parks, going back to the water parks in America for a second, that is another pretty dramatic reflection of regional government interaction and regional park, uh, man like local management with parks, because unlike the amusement parks in North America, where just Great America and Canada's Wonderland, uh, had zero attendance for 2020. There were six water parks out of the that 20 are in the top 25 that yeah. would normally be in the top 20 that, uh, that, that were top 20 attendance bringers for 2019 that did not open at all. But I think it's one of those things that water parks already have like a season that's barely profitable. And if you're going to cut yeah. your attendance while your, your, your capacity because of COVID and then you have to cut your season and they have to staff everyone for a couple of weekends. Yeah, it getting gets, the ball rolling. You got to the point where it's like it's not it's not going to be financially um, profitable to operate for the season. And I think a lot of parks figured it out really early on. Like if we don't open by this day, we're not opening at all. And I think that's why we saw these parks that never opened for the yeah. season. But again, it was more of a water park thing really than than it was a theme park thing. Um, let's dive into what's coming in the next year. So we'll start with Chamlong's uh, Marine Science Park. Oh yeah. This will be the largest indoor park, um, of course, located right next to Chamlong Ocean Kingdom. A great picture of it in the and, uh, in Hanking Bay. The cool thing is that this is going to house the world's largest killer whale exhibit um, with um, the world's largest acrylic panel, which is gonna break their own record mm -hmm. for the largest acrylic panel that is located in the main park at the um, Will Shark Aquarium. So that's going to be nice. Um, they have several indoor exhibits and experiences. One of the main things that they have is a unique Chinese porpoise. What do you call that? Like Chinese. Yeah, they said there's like rare Chinese porpoises. Yes, and it's the first ever be on public display. They have a whole giant exhibit that's being built in there. So the way that this park is going to be set up, it's, um, it's a combination of like leisure, like rides. There is going to be a giant simulator. There is going to be a giant show venue that has the killer whale exhibit. And then it has a nine to a dozen somewhere in the, in the, in the number range um, part exhibit that is a multi-level like under like there's there's two floors and like yeah. the lowest floor of the whole thing that's, that, that doesn't have any skylight roofs that's going to be a giant exhibit that is highly interactive and it's going to take you through all these different areas from the world with like aquariums it's going to be just pretty much like one of the biggest aquariums exhibits in the world and that's I think where the Chinese purpose is going to be and then on the second floor you've got the amusement park halls mm -hmm. which will have you know like a bunch of family rides the, um, the restaurants it's going to have the killer whale exhibit that has its own giant bubble like very multimedia high tech I mean it looks like a spaceship that gets parked next to the next so to the other theme park it's kind of wild and then they've got the new um, hotel the marine science hotel that's already open 
which is um, a, a really, really beautiful hotel. So that's coming. It was meant to be for 2019, became 2020. Obviously, it didn't happen. 2021 <laughs> was like a no. Yeah, this project was delayed before COVID got into the Because picture. the park's main structure was already done when we, were, when we visited yeah, in 2019. We yeah, we, when we went in fall of 2019, the park, I mean, the was technically only a few months looked, from opening. Yeah, it was like... Then it was supposed to open in early 2020, which obviously all construction stopped late 2019, early yeah. 2020 because of COVID. And then it was supposed to be May of 2021. Now they're saying fall of 2021, but like newsflash, it is fall of 2021 and the park is not ready yet. So I'm expecting personally it's going to get pushed to 2020. Yeah, spring 2022. But the, all the infrastructure is there. The bridges yeah. from the hotels to the parks are there. The, um, the entrance, all the characters, the booths, the ticket booths, the walkways, the doors, everything is like pretty much ready to go. But the inside of it, I mean, they haven't even moved the animals in yet, which they have been holding facilities for yeah. several years now. Um, do whatever information that you want. It's not necessarily <laughs> as positive that they have been having literally animals in holding facilities for years now, waiting for that park to be ready to move them into their permanent exhibits. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sometime for 2022. Looking closer to home um, in the US, of course, we have Tron, that, Tron that's delayed. We have Guardians that's delayed. I'm incredibly excited for both, um, especially for Guardians because it's a new experience. Love Tron, still very excited for it, but I think Guardians is gonna be cool because of its uh, massive size and um, you know the whole like spinning aspect of it that's gonna be fun 2022 has a lot of like delayed uh, gratification going on because as there was stuff that was intended for 2020 obviously we're talking about <laughs> the SeaWorld Parks entertainment coasters and I don't really slight them for moving that over for pushing that to 2022 because 2021 was going to be such a weird steadying year and so i mean obviously you've got like universal comfortably opened velocicoaster on schedule it opened exactly when it would have opened if covid had never happened um but that's not necessarily the best route for every park disney stuff was really only delayed the SeaWorld stuff was being delayed two years just is a lot it was a lot for the regional park fans like ourselves to to stomach the Disney stuff is technically delayed for less time, but somehow it feels more insulting. That's when a construction be, reason. Yeah, longer, so it's mixed emotions about uh, quote-unquote new stuff for 2022 because it is going to be a lot of stuff that we should have already had operating anywhere from two years to six months prior. And then there's parks that are going forward with totally new concepts announcements and things that were that weren't even thought about or existed prior to um the whole covid thing i think six flags fiesta texas's uh cliffhanger coaster dr diabolical's cliffhanger was a huge surprise because there's really no guarantees there's no expectations to be had uh especially for regional parks where things are so volatile um, you can always assume that a, 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 a scenario like Florida, you know, Orlando, Southern California, some of these regions are going to always be lucrative. They're always going to be tourist destinations. But with the Six Flags parks, Cedar Fair parks, there's sometimes it's just a matter of like, well, how quickly are these economies, these smaller uh, economies that are not necessarily entertainment focused, like how quickly are these economies going to uh, – really warrant a major attraction but texas man fiesta texas has decided that 
2022 is the year for uh, a beyond vertical B&M dive machine with, with three inversions. I mean, I think it's clearly a response to SeaWorld San Antonio's um, Texas Stingray, which is one of the biggest wooden coasters in the U.S. It's a phenomenal wooden coaster. Yeah. And I think that um, Fiesta Texas and SeaWorld have always been playing the back and forth game, and I love to see it because that's like their own little bubble. Yeah. I mean, San Antonio is an entertainment city. People do go there from all over Texas, if not just like the south, to do the not necessarily the parks, but to do City Walk and to like all the cultural experiences. Fiesta dining, Texas and SeaWorld, like you know. They've always had an interesting relationship because, like, SeaWorld of Texas opened in the late '80s. It was the world's largest animal park. It had a it had a lot of different components to it, and not everything was successful. Successful. It had it's had a very interesting gestation. It went from being a SeaWorld park that's also a, 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 a Cypress Gardens and Boardwalk and baseball attraction with like all these different kinds of like extracurriculars and stuff, and then then they scaled things back, and then they kind of turned it into Bush Gardens. They gave it like this. This it was the first SeaWorld yeah, park if you to ever really look, embrace. If you ever look between, um, you know, you have you have the extreme end of the Bush Gardens parks and extreme end of the SeaWorld parks. The extreme end for the Busch Gardens parks is Busch Gardens Williamsburg, Williamsburg. and the most extreme end of the SeaWorld Park on the, on the same on the same scale is SeaWorld San, San Diego. Diego, and then right in, in the, the middle, middle you have SeaWorld San Antonio, San Antonio, which feels especially back in the day um, when like this first they were the first SeaWorld Park to really start popping in coasters. It was a Bush decision. That's really the park that feels the most like in the middle. It's like a mix between Bush Gardens and SeaWorld. It's fascinating because I mean like the Bush was was really on the B and M train. They had kind of helped discover B&M along with Six Flags. And then as soon as Montu was open, they they placed an order for Alpengeist, and Great White happened in that same transaction. Great White and Alpengeist were contracted in one pen stroke because they were just so confident that this was going to work. This yeah. is exactly what we need for Fiesta Texas because that in 1996... Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, they needed it for Fiesta Texas because Fiesta Texas was ready to put some hurt on the situation. They were for sale at that point. 1996 was the last year that Fiesta Texas was operated by the Gaylord Opryland uh, outfit before they completely bowed out of the parks game. And then the Six Flags acquisition of Fiesta Texas followed by then the premier acquisition of Six Flags. It was a very prosperous and er period of dramatic growth for Fiesta Texas and SeaWorld San Antonio, or SeaWorld of Texas, as it was called at the time, uh, was ready to put it all out there, make some, play, you know, do some risks, some risky investments. At the time, SeaWorld was just like, you know, well, SeaWorld doesn't do rides, but really we have things like Kraken and Emperor and, like, the era of SeaWorld parks having roller coasters was really started with uh, SeaWorld San Antonio's sure. uh, performing ride projects out of necessity. Um, to maintain Fiesta Texas is uh, you know to keep to keep up with the neighbors. So anyway, the point being is that Fiesta Texas has once again that San Antonio region has once again proven that they are ready to bounce back and prove themselves as as a kind of a third theme park destination region where there's hunger, motivation, major competition. And a pretty strong, sustaining entertainment component that is more than just, like, regional parks. I mean, on the topic of SeaWorld, um, SeaWorld Parks Entertainment also has the, um, the leverage of having Sesame Street rights. And so Sesame Place and... Chula Vista. Right. Well, and yeah. so Sesame Place and New um, Garden Philadelphia area, 
God, what's the exact place called again? Isn't it in Trenton, New Jersey or something? It's somewhere around there. Oh, no, it's not New Jersey. What's the official place? Sesame Place. I'm pretty sure it's Pennsylvania, but... Well, yeah. It's, what's the official it's city? A Philadelphia suburb. Yeah, anyway, so the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Pennsylvania Sesame Place is so successful that um, SeaWorld's Aquatica in San Diego is being turned into Sesame Place. And this was know. announced pre-COVID, and we were like, is this canceled? It was supposed to be a 2021 but opening. Still happening. But it's happening now, and it's opening next year in 2022. They, they topped they off just, the little roller coaster. Like I was going to say, they just topped off the little roller coaster. Um, and so that's going to be really exciting, especially because the park's location was, like, nowhere convenient close to the actual other park. So then having SeaWorld's Aquatica not close to SeaWorld, especially when we went, felt kind of weird because I felt like it was it was not that close to each other. Oh, yeah, we've been there and for like, some reason. I'm like, well, maybe like the bus routes or whatever, but, you know, like the other parks, like SeaWorld's Aquatica or, like, the Busch Gardens water parks are, like, literally hugged up against the main gates. But here, it's located a little bit further away, so I think making it a regional family park to compete with Legoland is much smarter than trying to make it, like, SeaWorld's second gate, that's a water park. Um, I don't think it worked out too well for them. And, and there's a reason that Not Soak City didn't work out either yeah. in Chula Vista. So I'm really excited for Sesame Place, which is going to be a really large water park with a bunch of Sesame Street-themed water slides um, and then, like, a little roller coaster and a bunch of flat rides and the show venues. I think the park, especially the way it's situated and the size, um, I think it will lend itself really well to being a little theme park I that does both. I think it's going to be a lot... The, the stuff that they're adding, like the dry, the, the rides component of it, is going to look a lot like uh, the Sesame Street area for Orlando's SeaWorld, but with a few more major rides, like a, like a full-size, like, well, they're getting a wave swinger, right? Like, they're getting yeah, a full-size, which is funny because SeaWorld has one, too. They've got the jellyfish-themed one, mm-hmm. but you can never have too many wave swingers. I kind of feel like Orlando should have one. Uh, even Busch Gardens Tampa doesn't have one, but I digress. Um, it's going to be a really great project, and I'm glad that... It's really cool to me to do that, because the park's going to feel very fleshed out, because unlike the other Sesame Place, it has a moderate it's pretty small. amount of yeah. water rides, you know, family-friendly. Aquatica San Diego really was a pretty major water park. Their, their slide lineup was pretty massive, so them having, like, a giant tornado and having um, racing mat slides and having a bunch of built-into-the-hills, like, 70-feet-tall water slides... Um, it's going to be really cool that that's going to be peppered in with a bunch of flat rides and it's going to be like a much larger Sesame Place with a much more pre- yeah, bigger presence. Yeah, it's a much bigger uh, presence. Yeah, bigger. And I think knowing how well the Legoland parks do all over the U.S. and especially Legoland, California, I'm confident that Sesame Place is a really good fit for the region. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that takes off. I'm actually kind of excited to visit because yeah, it's Aquatica and I really want to see what it looks like. Yeah, and do like a before and after. God, that'd be kind of fun. We should yeah. do that. So I guess there's also for the for not just 2022 because we are going to do some more zeroed in focus on 2022 stuff uh, in the next season, but general horizon stuff. We're really eager to obviously see more details on Tron and Guardians, but Iron Man um, at Disneyland Paris, which we talked a little bit about in our last episode, just talking about our Disneyland Paris visit and the things that we look forward to seeing on our next visit and then of course the the other the other other Disney coaster project at Hong Kong Disneyland uh, wandering oak and sledding sleds which is I'm really excited for it even though it's really just a dressed it up is quite Tacoma small. roller skater yeah but I'm but excited for the idea of it for sure I just think I I'm I think it's just going to be so cute I think Iron Man needs to be discussed more cuz yeah. like, at the end of the day rock and roller coaster it was a really really good ride but just in general it's it's a fast a throw ride with inversions 
very intense for American Disney parks. I mean, yeah. Again, like European Disney parks, there's more intense rides on resort. But uh, I'm excited to see what they can do with that ride layout and with that queue, and especially with the Marvel money behind it. Um, I'm excited. What we've seen so far from inside the show building, it has like a tunnel, like an LED tunnel, kind of like um, a credit coaster in California almost, where they can project stuff on the inside. So I'm not sure what to expect. Am I expecting a cityscape? Am I over enthusiastic to the point where maybe I'll get disappointed? Perhaps, because I think they can do so much with that. And it was already the better version of our roller coaster than the one here. But I digress. I'm still very excited for it. And I think it's very, very needed for that resort. Um, speaking of stuff that's very needed for resorts, I think the expansion to Tokyo Disney Sea is really cool. Because Tokyo Disney Sea has always felt like it's been landlocked, which I guess it technically was. Um, Disney Sea is like really compact, really confined. It's one of those parks, kind of like it's kind of like Disney's Fantasia Land, where like everything is multi levels and like rides are literally like stacked on top of each other. Like during the center of the Earth is stacked on top of um, the twenty thousand leagues under the sea, for example, um, which is impressive. And so now they are adding their largest expansion yet, which will expand the park by like literally 50 additional percent yeah. of the park. So like there's going to be Fantasy Springs, which includes a hotel, a Peter Pan area, a frozen area, and a tangled area, tangled area all in a more naturalistic vibe, which is why it's called Fantasy Springs. I think they just wanted so badly. They've, they've done a really good job of balancing the sophistication and the continuity of Disney Sea with, with an the, IP the innate yes yeah. the innate need and desire for there to be Which, intellectual like, properties. From a distance, I'm disappointed that IPs have to be like. I mean, inserting IPs in Disney Sea isn't new because, of course, we've got Indiana Jones, and we have um, the, the Little Mermaid, the Little Mermaid area, and of course, we have the Midway Mania that's like Coney Islanded, yeah. you know. So, like, it isn't the first time. It is the first time they were like, oh, it's like IP, 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 stuck on each other yeah, in this one was area. the first time like, they were like, we're adding a new area and I mean, it sounds like Fantasyland, but, like, a Disney Sea version. Yeah. Which still means it's probably going to be a whole other than Fantasyland. Yeah. But it was, it was a bit of a shock when they announced it. I was like, oh, really? It's going to be Peter Pan Frozen area? Like, what the hell is that even? Yeah, mean? it was... <laughs> I was surprised. I was like, that sounds fake. Because there was always rumors that the, great, the eighth <laughs> port, which was going to be next to um, Lost the Lost River, River Delta. Delta. And there was long time standing rumors that that would be frozen but which is funny because i think if they would have made that just frozen that would have made a little more sense in my head yeah i mean when they announced it because now i've seen like how they're building it and it's so massive they can easily fit three lands in there yeah but in my head is it like is it like is it one port is it three ports like the whole port idea i kind of think was left when fantasy spring was announced because fantasy springs does so much that i'm not sure if you i can really see it as one port fantasy springs is really and also the positioning of it in relationship to the rest of the park it's, it doesn't it's a major offshoot yeah um so it, it's really gonna feel like a park within a park it's gonna be like their little harry potter galaxy's edge moment where they're taking a, an existing gate and adding such a major major area that it's to call it an area, like you said, to call it a port doesn't really quite cover uh, what yeah, this area that, is Yeah, because that would be cover. like calling um, 
Arabian Coast and Little Mermaid and Lost River Delta, which are all connected by like a little pond or like yeah. the waterway, calling it all one port. I'm like, well, yeah. there's clearly two ports. Well, yeah, there's, you know yeah, there's like five <laughs> e tickets. Of this Another thing I've noticed is like, I mean, I know the area isn't ready yet, but from the air, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a major water feature. It's going to be probably a smaller water feature because it's still yeah. to a spring. Yeah, it's not going to be. But it's weird that it's going to be the first land in the entire park that is in the port once, first of all. Really, because the rest are literally just all on waterways. Like yeah. they are like on the water. They're all literally ports. Like they are literally like on a major waterway, which makes it you know like they they are touching That's the water. overarching theme. That's the whole point of Disney Sea that everything is located like on open waters within the gates. You know, very beautifully manicured. Um, so it's gonna be interesting seeing Disney the Fantasy Springs at Disney Sea. Um, I am somewhat excited for it. The fact that it doesn't include a major roller coaster, which I think the park needed sorely, is a little bit annoying to me. Um, but I'm also kind of like Disney Sea. I definitely don't come there for the IPs that we already know from movies. I come there for like the sheer differentness of it. So I'm very curious to see how they're going to take Peter Pan, Frozen, and Tangled and make it like completely unique and not feel like Fantasyland. There's a part of me where Does that like make sense? the the way that this area is shaped is it backs up right into Fantasyland and Toontown for Disneyland, and there's a part of me that really wants them to connect it and make it like a super park. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> the hotel there. I mean, it may have its own entrance to Fantasyland. And I feel like it's just because the getting from park to park. Wait, are they connected like that? I don't remember exactly how the park's located. Please hold. The parks are not really connected. They're not really that walkable. You can, but it's just a lot faster to use the monorail. But I think it would be kind of amazing to connect the two parks through Fantasy Springs, especially since um, I think they're kind of a nice bridge between what Disney Sea is doing and, and the area of the park that uh, Fantasy Springs will be butting up to. Not to, to say nothing of the fact that Fantasy Springs chews up all of the expansion pad left that would have otherwise been accessible to Disney Tokyo Disneyland. I mean, of course, they had their huge expansion with um, the new Baymax ride and the um, Beauty and the Beast ride. Yeah, it's so funny how close it is. I really do wonder... In my head, I'm like, so it's, I think the entrance is actually not between Nemo Sea Rider and Lost River Delta, but it's more between Raging Spirits and Yeah, it's going to be in Coast. between those, yeah. I mean, it was always kind of obvious that, like, either there or right next to Nemo and Friends, there was yeah. going to be the next port. Yeah. I kind of expected, personally, from being within the park, having a giant plot here, there must be an e-ticket well, here the at eighth some port. point. That was, that's where Arendelle was originally to going go. to be. That's you the eighth what? port. You know what? This is clearly where the eighth port may one day go. Yeah. But where this new land is going, Fantasy Springs, that is not a port. Do you remember I how confused I was when I saw the expansion for Fantasy Springs? And I'm like, this is not where I thought it was. I thought this was the eighth port. Right, well, you were like, it's not going to fit. There's no hotel. I'm like, yeah. no, the hotel's literally on. It's and like then I was like, oh my god. This like, the is land is massive. Yeah. It's just funny looking at... This is Disney Sea, this expansion. Like, it's literally 50% of the park being added. So, yeah, major, major expansion. It's just going to be excited. Whatever they, whatever they do, it's going to be an exciting... Adventure. Um, and then, of course, you've got... Uh, a little bit further down, the expansion for Super Nintendo World with Donkey Kong was officially announced today. As everyone likes to say, it's one of the worst kept secrets in the industry because everybody already knew about it. I mean, yeah, you can literally see it from within a park. But Universal, and they, and they said, what did they say, 2023? 2024. So <laughs> that will be opening alongside Epic Universe in 2024, it looks like. It's going to be an exciting year for Universal. Um, it's interesting. That's a year after Fan Springs supposed to open. Fan yeah. Springs supposed to open in 2023, which now we're looking at concept art of it, which 
I'm trying to zoom in. It actually does look a little more Tokyo Disney Sea-ish with the waterways. The hotel is very Miracosta meets fantasy. Um, do I think that it's all kind of pushed together a little much? Yes, but at least it's maybe it only looks that way from a bird's eye view. This is very when you're on the this ground. This is very Disneyland Paris. It's beautiful. Yeah, because it's it's. That's the Peter Pan era. But at least having um, Tangled and Frozen right next to each other, it's, it is the same universe technically, so that's cool. Peter Pan, I guess, is not, but um, you know. <laughs> the Peter whatever. Pan part is so weird to me. Like, I was really not expecting that, um, especially since they have the Peter Pan ride in Fantasyland already, but you know, it's their, it's, they know what they're doing. I trust that they. And it's not like Peter Pan sells a bunch of merch either. Like, I can't believe they're not just building, like, a bunch of Duffy rides and, you know, all the I'm stuff surprised that, that sells they, merchandise. I'm surprised that it didn't expand the... Well, I guess there really isn't much of an expanding onto the open ocean, but um, <laughs> the, the Cape Cod thing still is kind of like yeah, its own little... Cape Cod could use a ride, thing. but it does well, just, I guess, being the home of Duffy. What else is coming? Are there any other major attractions that come? The one thing that I think is going to be... Epic Universe? For... Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's. I think we were talking earlier that like Epic Universe is still very like it's definitely happening, but I think the roster, what's actually going to be, I think Universal Studios Beijing showed us that like things can happen very last minute. Changes can be so quick. They had a whole area of the park that was going to be themed to SpongeBob, and then it, they decided to theme it to Kung Fu Panda after it was already being built. <laughs> yeah. uh, Fast and Furious was supposed to be a major opening day attraction, and it got completely canceled. Uh, my point being that like, what we think is going to come to Epic Universe and what's actually coming to Epic Universe is going to probably be two different things. I'm just really wondering, because um, the new Fantastic Beasts movie comes out this year, and I'm really curious... Secrets of Dumbledore. Or early next year. I'm really curious to the see... The secret is he's gay. <laughs> um, I'm really curious to see if they're going to continue building the Wizarding World and if it's going to have a Fantastic World Edge or, or sorry, Fantastic Beast Edge or if it's going to have a Harry Potter Edge. Are they going to build the Ministry of Magic? I'm pretty confident because Hagrid yeah. showed everyone that like Potter is not done growing and they have this master IP that they can fight Disney head on. So add the Ministry of Magic and add Donkey Kong and um, Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, add those three areas alone and you've already got yourself an incredibly competitive land and then they're gonna um, as of right now looks like there's going to be a very large How to Train Your Dragon land I think those four lands alone make for an incredibly nice opening roster it looks like we're gonna get monsters for opening as well and then a sci-fi themed roller coaster in the but, hub but then if you don't talk about like oh well you know you know those, those lands it's not that much um, this park is massive it is larger than Epcot like it is a Incredibly the entire part. Yeah, the construction zone for the plot for the whole thing is actually larger than the entire Universal Orlando Resort that currently know. exists. And so, so the park alone, like lots what of is, room to grow. What is set aside for not hotel space, not parking lot space, no backway space, but literally just like parks and attraction space is, is larger than Epcot. Yeah. So it is larger than currently IOA and University of Orlando combined, Mind, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it's going to be a currently massive park. So I'm really hoping that they pull another IOA car where they can build a whole complete park. Yeah. And don't play a Disney game because Disney will build half parks. There aren't maybe quarter parks and it opens them. Yeah. I need them to stay with that like Universal Studios Beijing and Islands of Adventure. Singapore. And Singapore yeah. kind of like motivation and it's built yeah. in a complete park. Spend all the money and then just like let it run for like 10 years. Do you think that – because I think – I think Ministry of Magic and Nintendo are the by far the two most 
set in stone. I think that and how Train Dragon. Do you think Dragons is still gonna happen? And it's. In, I mean, it's, it's a franchise they own that they haven't done much with yet, but it's like really kind of like universally liked and loved. And I think it's a really easy franchise to work with. And I think doing like. I mean, the, the show that they did lands, in Beijing is like incredibly popular. The uh, Shrek Land and the Madagascar Land, which of course is going to be replaced, um, those were executed really well, and I think. They know that Shrek may be not as relevant as Another it was. Another reason I think it's going to do very well is because it's internationally pretty well-known franchise, How Train Dragon, and Universal, as of right now, in the Orlando Resort, lacks a modern family area. Yeah. Dr. Seuss gets closed, but like whatever the hell they're doing in Studios Florida, it's a complete Kid nightmare. Zone. It's a mess. Yeah. It's ugly. It's trash. I really, like, I have no good words about that kid area. Sorry. <laughs> and I really think that, you know, besides Dr. Seuss, there really isn't much. Dr. Seuss is not an internationally known phenomenon. Like, honestly, I didn't know what the hell it was until I moved here. Do you think they're you going know? to... I guess my question is, do you think they're going to resist the temptation of making How to Train Your Dragon's Land into just a general DreamWorks land? Where no, they have because rides? I think the way that the setting of the park is really to build, like, the worlds. worlds. I think yeah. they've learned one thing very, very well from Harry Potter, and it is, like... Build a world, build a well, and you will sell merchandise. Yeah. You will have, you know, like you have that bubble. And I think, I mean, come on, every major area opening at Universal and, and Disney parks now is all like one franchise. It's one franchise, one world. Sidelines are important. And yeah. I think that like building an, a park from scratch in the Orlando market, the most, as of right now, the most competitive theme park market in the world, I think it makes no sense to build generic areas. I also think how I to think train your dragon is gonna, like, it's an attractive intellectual property because it's, Sophisticated. It's had three movies. They've all been critically and commercially successful. It's got a. It's a. It's an intellectual property that grows with you. It's got legs. It's culturally relevant. And building a whole area. It's got a nice aesthetic. It has a nice feel to it. It's sort of like. It's it's like Klokheim, but for families. Oh, and totally. We don't have anything like that in Orlando. Not at all. And I think having a cohesive family area or like a land that is for kids and family that is cohesive. I mean, in Orlando, it simply doesn't exist. I mean, the best thing we've got is Sesame Street. Um, you know, when it comes to cohesion and fancy land, I mean, we don't have to talk about fancy land. It's completely yes, and utterly please. a mess. So I really think that it's, that's that one chance. And another area, the Universal Monster area, building like the little European city that's also on the back lot of um, Universal Studios Hollywood that Frankenstein and stuff was filmed at. I think that is a clever attraction to build or a clever area to build because it's kind of timeless. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like an IP. It can be something that can be put together pretty well. And it's, it's just kind of timeless, walking through an old European horror city. I mean, Universal does horror best, and I think that's a really good area for them. And as of right now, it's rumored to have a uh, Forbidden Journey kind of dark ride that takes you through all, like, several horror movies, but, like, you know, classic Universal monster movies in, like, a, like a gothic old style. And I really, I think that if they're onto something, you know, one thing that's really cool nowadays, if parks do it, if they create something that's non-IP and make it really unique, I think it attracts people just as much as something that's really IP-based. Because at the end of the day, monsters and horror sounds cool, old people have grown up with it, but it's also a way for a theme park to really do something unexpected. Yeah. Because like, at the end of the day, if you use a franchise, you're all going to know that when you ride a Harry Potter ride, it's going to be a dragon, and it's going to be a broomstick, and it's going to be a wizard, and it's going to be Voldemort. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's, it's like, all kind of like expected, because that's the whole franchise's point. And I think doing the monster thing, it's like, yeah, okay, we kind of know what the monsters are, but doing like a generic area and doing a generic ride for it, I think it allows Universal to really kind of play with opportunities that a general like singular franchise that's more modern doesn't necessarily allow for do you think they're going to because I, I think the most obvious thing from epic universe that's missing is jurassic park 
Or a good name. Oh, yeah, and Jurassic Park had a good name. <laughs> I just think Epic Universe is literally the worst name. Universal's Epic Universe. Way yeah. to sound redundant. I don't want to talk and about And ways it. of abuse the word Epic because it's already like CityWalk, the Epic Center of whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, park name aside, can you repeat the question one more time for me? <laughs> I got kind of Are concerned. they going to bring Jurassic Park to Epic Universe? So, as of right now, and this is more of a fantasy than it is rea- reality like is that like a realistic expectation or hope for them but like a pipe I dream think, I think Jurassic World's philosophy to fit in so well as an adventure they're like let's put it here um, but now having a weird like Jurassic Park Jurassic World like crossover area I just want them to turn all of IOA's Jurassic World into Jurassic World I want them to build a Jurassic World dark ride water ride that Hollywood has and have like the Indominus Rex in it and then I want them to build a satellite area in Epic Universe, which is definitely not planned right now. Nobody has any idea that will ever happen. But what I want is I want a Jurassic World Dominion-themed land in Epic Universe because Dominion will be taking place all over the world where the dinosaurs roam the Earth alongside humans. And it's a great way for Universal to create an area almost like Galaxy's Edge where they take the franchise and they create a whole area that is not based on a movie but like it's a continuation of the story that only exists within Epic Universe so like you can only experience that adventure off screen on ride at Epic Universe, and I think that at Galaxy's Edge and Hagrid's Magic Cruise Motorbike Adventure, there's there's a couple of attractions here and there in the industry that really like continue a story in a completely unique world build just for a theme park, and I would like for Jurassic World Dominion to be a satellite area of Jurassic World at Islands of Adventure to do that. Um, will it happen? I mean, it's likely not on a priority list. I just but think I think it'd be super cool. I, I just think that Jurassic Park is big enough. That there's enough to it. There's enough movies. There's enough material that they could take it and have it be in two parks. And I mean, it doesn't have to be quite as overarching as Harry Potter or even Nintendo. With the, with the popular rumor that Nintendo will have presence in all three parks using three different game franchises. But I still think that... And I'm not saying they need to like clone the Dark Ride at Universal Beijing and put it in Epic Universe, but I, I think that there's room to tell another Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World story um, at Epic Universe that takes place in the same universe, for lack of a better word, as Jurassic World slash Jurassic Park at Islands of Adventure, but does a different kind of ride, a different kind of aesthetic. I mean, if anything... Um, I wouldn't even hate if they brought the Beijing Dark Ride to Epic Universe because the Beijing Jurassic World Dark Ride. It just looks really cool. It looks so really yeah. cool, even though yeah, maybe maybe theme it a little bit differently, make it less about movie two and make it more about like the alternative yeah. future. Um, Universal isn't afraid to use the rights, the same ride system in, in the same park because they do it. And I mean, there's Transformers and Jurassic World and Universal Studios Beijing. Those are pretty much exact same rights. I think it's right only system. fair that all three of the gates at Universal have that Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, Universal Studio, uh, Universal right. Orlando Resort better have one of these in every gate. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So overall, um, I have high hopes for Epic Universe. Besides the name. <laughs> and I really think that the overall setup... It's not too late, Universal. ...of doing a, like, modern celestial approach with lots of, like, lagoons and shows and making it very broad and very large, they really want to build something larger than life because I think one thing that's very noticeable about all the Universal parks besides Beijing, because Beijing is quite large and quite spread out, is that they're all very dense. Yeah. The Universal parks are dense. The midways are not that wide. There's days where it's busy at Iowa, and I'm, like, over it it's because it's, like, super clustery. 
um, it's especially bad in Potter and I think that this is a really great chance for Universal to build something massive, big midways, do a giant parade like Japan does. I think this is Universal's like time to shine and create like all the things they were never able to do at the current existing Universal Land Resort. So um, I have really high hopes actually, yeah. I really do. I think, um, I think they know what needs to be done. I think they have a pretty general understanding of what they're competing with and if they want to get, you know, if they want to one-up Disney, which is also developing all these attractions and stuff, um, you better just put a bunch of stuff in there and I think Universal can really make it happen. They're, they're growing quick. I agree. I think, I think that pretty much sums it yeah, up. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> I'm really excited for Epic Universe. Whatever. <laughs> Basically, whatever happens with Epic Universe, I'm excited about it because whatever. What's the current line line? 2025? I think they moved it to 2024 again. Okay. But I can't remember. I don't know. 2024 is quick. That's three they're very ago. ambitious. Like, they had a very ambitious timeline the last. I mean, there's already pieces on site, it, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, like maybe, the Donkey Kong. Maybe both Donkey Kongs Donkey Kong open the same year. And, well, no. Um, it was the Yoshi ride. That's what it was. Oh, Remember yeah. when we thought it might have been Donkey Kong, but it was like Yoshi ride is on deck and it has been for months. You know, there's a lot of things. The things that they're doing with Epic Universe right now makes me think that they are going to try to push for it to open in the first half of this decade. I just really hope that Universal, in the process of working on Epic Universe, works on Universal Studios Florida because despite the park's decent attendance, I just think that park just lacks the spark. I think Universal Studios Florida feels very old Universal kind of dragging your feet, like, okay, there's a couple of highlight tracks, but a lot of, like, filler stuff that's supposed to be action-filled, but just doesn't feel, like, high quality. Not yeah. to be shitting on Universal Florida. I just think that the park needs, like, another major attraction. Ah, please give me that um, expansion to Diagon Alley, which it's it's back on Rumor rumor Mill. Rumor Mill's are turning again. And then um, build me that Pokemon area. Um, you know, yeah, do that whole, Pokemon, like, kids, ooh, Nintendo World everywhere. Area. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess with, with Horror Nights, it's like Hollywood, or at Hollywood, Universal Studios, Florida, really only has to do so much um, <laughs> with, for attendance, because as long as they're the Horror Nights park, they're going to have exactly what they need to, to, to thrive. But I hope that they're, I guess what you're saying, and I agree with you, I hope that their next couple of e-ticket rides uh, aren't too far down the pipe and that we'll see them in a reasonable because if you're going to open time. Epic Universe okay so between now and Epic Universe opening nothing is added to University of Florida it's going to be a really wild contrast because you've got IOA I think one of the most densely packed um, high quality amusement parks in, in the world even they're going to have Epic Universe where like, everything the, the is flashiest, brand new and like, spectacular you know, and then you have flashiest, Universal Studios exactly <laughs> and then Universal Florida is like okay well this park is clearly the unless they park, want right? their flagship park to also be like handily the least good <laughs> of the three parks when Epic Universe opens, then they need to you know add a couple of e-tickets. Yeah, I think that Universe of Florida needs the most help. Yeah. But uh, it's not stuff that's very hard to fix. I think rerouting the entrance to E.T. to, to Hollywood, Hollywood Street and then turning the rest of Kit Zone into a major new area and then building one more e-ticket for Potter where Fear Factor is, um, that's honestly enough to make that yep. park like twice as good in yep. my opinion because I mean it has good bones it really has yeah. good bones but it just yeah. it lacks like some of the sparkiness that I really yeah. like in I IOA it's like Especially IOA, is, IOA has, is such an impossible act to follow like even the best parks would, would struggle to uh, to attract I think attention when you have IOA I next to it I think the problem is, is that like, Universal Studios Florida has always been so focused on like the movie making thing and the soundstage thing and like 
a simulated thing that an Islands of Adventure was the first time that Universal really got to play with just an entire park and make it all like non-studio but like make it just like world building yeah, it's funny and to I think they had so much fun doing <laughs> that that they can't stop doing it so they yeah. keep building more and like all the newer parks are kind of like ooh let's do like the IOA thing they just love but meanwhile Studios Florida is still like technically holding yeah. on to the studios thing which really doesn't work that much anymore yeah. like it's just kind of you know cut it cut it they out. love the uninhibited playground aspect of, of IOA and I, I think ultimately they're just going to bring more of that to Florida Universal Studios Florida because that's what they did with Diagon Alley and they just have to allow themselves to I was going to go to their park and, I, and Diagon Alley not being there like that's yeah. the reason I go <laughs> not to hate I mean yeah. I, I still like mummy and stuff too but I just feel like IOA has this more to offer Yeah. so this definitely turned into the <laughs> into the epic universe Universal and Resort episode but that's I'm not okay. mad about it well it, I mean that's definitely dominating our thoughts with like the the theme park industry on the horizon because Universal Beijing is brand new, it's open, it's ready to thrive, it's ready to kick some ass, and then Epic Universe and the whole Universal Orlando, like every all eyes are on Universal Orlando Resort because Disney's stuff is pretty much we pretty much know exactly what's happening at Disney for the next three years. Like unless Disney's got some some major massive surprises uh until uh, there's just not going to be as much to think about or look at with Disney as there will be for Universal, like, internationally. Uh, there's going to be a lot more interesting developments in the Asian Disney parks and, like, Disneyland Paris, of course. But then there's going to be more Asian developments in the Universal parks because we're going to see more from USJ and a lot more from Universal Singapore because they've got their work cut out for Singapore. They want to add all this stuff to Singapore and, like, you know, re- reconfigure some some stuff and, and take out Madagascar and do Nintendo and do, um, what were they going to do? Nintendo and there was one more. Not Harry Potter. Not Potter, interestingly enough. No, I can't remember. Well, I know they're going to do more with that area, with that whole, oh, Minions. It was Minions. Oh, that's right. They're doing, they're do, they want to do a Minions area and they want to do Nintendo and one of uh, one of those areas is going where Madagascar is currently, and the other one is going to be overall expansion. And then they're not going to do Harry Potter, but I still think they've got more into. I mean, all the details on that are pretty murky right now, but we know what's happening in the next five years, so that's going to be exciting. I just think Universal is. I mean, on the topic of Universal's um, Singapore and Epic Universe, that space theme coaster in the hub, it is not known what it is, but it is a racing coaster. And I hope that Universal pulls the plug and opens the floodgates in Battlestar Galactica. You mean pulls the trigger? Yes, pulls the trigger. Pull and opens the floodgates <laughs> to all Battlestar Galactica stuff to just take over Universal. Disney it's one of build, the strongest franchises. If Disney can build a Tron roller coaster, then it's not out of the ordinary. Or it's not out of the question to say, give us the Battlestar Galactica coaster from Singapore. I don't care if it's a clone I or think, if it's the same I theme and one some thing other you, execution. One thing that's interesting about Universal that they don't in, in the U.S. parks anyway don't have like a specific sci-fi area. I feel like every freaking theme park has a sci-fi area. Yeah. Or especially the major resorts around the world. So I'm like, you know, whether it's the Tomorrowlands of the globe or whether it's, um, you know, the Battlestar Galactica in Singapore, there really isn't anything like super sci-fi, sci-fi besides like a Men in Black. If you, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a weird aesthetic. Well, I think Marvel Superhero Island was supposed was is kind of like their answer to that. Because it's a lot of like science when it comes to it just feels so comic y. Yeah. Now it doesn't it, with with park with what Singapore and Beijing did, you can look back at, at 
Marvel superhero island and say this was the prototype for Sci-Fi City and for Transformers Metro Base, which are the obvious sci-fi land designated the lands parks. for these parks. And even like Transformers, which is the headliner for both of these sci-fi themed areas in the Asian parks, is just a ride plunked down in the middle of Universal Studios, Florida. So yeah, so like I feel like one thing that really lacks, I mean the biggest genre in movie making, one of the biggest genres in movie making is sci-fi. And I think Universal they own Battlestar, and it's a really strong sci-fi series. Um, and I think, again, if anyone wonders, number one rated on Rotten Tomatoes for best sci-fi ever. Yeah. Anyways, I really think that they need to jump on that and be like, hey, there is currently a thing developments for more Battlestar Galactica media for Peacock. Um, so I would love for them to open a Battlestar Galactica ride. It doesn't have to be a whole area, but just like build a ride and, uh, and represent that franchise, do something a little more sci-fi, because... I just wish there was more sci-fi. Universal. Maybe Jurassic Park is science fiction, but it's not. Well, I mean, spacey. sci-fi. I guess so like, yeah, I should specify that I want sci-fi. It to be I mean, like space sci-fi. It needs to be in space. Yes. Space sci-fi. Yes. Yeah, space sci-fi. That's what I need. Yeah. What else do you need from that park? Was that it? I think uh, on the list of needs, that's those are the needs. There's plenty of ones. There's a lot of ones. There's a lot of ones. I could do a whole episode that's called My Epic Universe. Yeah. First of all, Sean's new name. Epic Universe. Yeah, the name is different. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica is the centerpiece. <laughs> yeah, there's a crash Battlestar. Yeah, in the center of the lagoon, <laughs> from which Cylons on the red coaster track fly out. You know, it's too yeah. much. We'll yeah. do it another time. Okay. And um, this is the end of season three. <laughs> Some couldn't be here because our schedules didn't line up. You know, busy times, busy world, busy work schedules. But it's going to be back on the season launch of season four launching as of right now first week of december we will obviously announce the topics what's going on all the kind of good stuff we're also launching a new mini soap series so we're going to take 26 coasters from around the world randomly a through z um, and kind of take a quick look at uh, what makes them unique what makes them different if we have a personal story behind them i think it'll be a different fun approach you kind of do something a little more unconventional a little more um a little different, you know, we're not just doing a new section, we're just taking a ride and we're just going to talk about it a little bit and maybe either you learn something or either you kind of learn something about us and I think it's going to be an exciting aspect of season four and um, in between then we'll have a couple trips planned, of course we'll do some more theme parks, um, hopefully we're done with uh, making our house complete. Yeah, And um, <laughs> I'm so ready for our free time to go back to what it has been. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going to parks several times a week versus like building houses and furniture yeah. and lights and dealing <laughs> with like appliances. But um, you know, being a plumber, being an electrician, being a magician, being all, a all the all that being a fortune teller. Telling part for me. Um, so yeah, that was it for season three. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast, and we'll see you, we'll see you in next two season. months. Bye. Bye.